the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hi, it's Hugh Hewitt. Welcome to the interview with Hugh Hewitt, sponsored by AndrewandTodd.com. Andrew and Todd are with Sierra Pacific Mortgage. They help you with all your real estate lending needs. If you're refinancing your home, if you're buying a new home, if you're a senior who wants a reverse mortgage, if you're a veteran who doesn't want to put any money down, whatever it is, if you're in the private real estate market for yourself, and maybe you want an investment property, try AndrewandTodd.com or call 888 now on to the interview with Hugh Hewitt. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. Welcoming back an old friend of the show, Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. Good morning, Senator. Thank you for joining me. Always good to be on the Hugh Hewitt Show. Good morning. It has been a, a while, Senator, since we've had a, a good long chat. And for the next 20, 25 minutes here, I want to reintroduce you because I've got so many new affiliates. Uh, since we lost Rush, you know, I'm now on in Manchester and Nashua, New Hampshire, Portland, Maine, Iowa, places all over the country that I was not on before. So I want to make sure they know, Tim Scott, the way I've gotten to know you over the years since I first met you a dozen years ago. And so completely apolitically, uh, would you just tell us how you ended up on the Charleston City Council, then the South Carolina legislature, then Congress, and then Senator? Where did you come from, Senator Scott? That's a great question. Yeah, I was a, uh, a kid raised in a single-parent household, married in poverty, uh, hopeless as a young child. And I had two major blessings in life. One was a powerful mother who believed that prayer was the key and faith would unlock the door. And a great mentor, I met my sophomore year in high school, a Chick-fil-A operator, who taught me that you could think your way out of poverty. The combination between those two individuals really set the platform and created a springboard for my life and ultimately and my mentor, who happened to be a conservative Republican Christian, started teaching me the values of independent uh, individual responsibility and believing in the free market system as the way up. He taught me that if you take responsibility for yourself, don't blame your mom because he's working long hours, your dad because he's not around. Take responsibility for yourself. If you look in the mirror and you see the problem, in that same mirror you will find the promise. If you look at that mirror and you see an obstacle, Typically, your opportunities emerge from the obstacles in your life. And John Moniz just set my thinking in a different track. And one of the reasons why I became a conservative and ran for county council is because John taught me uh, to always give before asking to receive. He said it's called enlightened self-interest. Do for others before you try to have others do for you. And uh, one of the fastest ways to do that, you <clears throat> as a poor kid, was to invest my time in public service is one of the things he encouraged. And so I did my best to uh, volunteer for races and work at the polls. And then finally, in my late 20s, I ran for office and fortunately was successful. So that started me on the local level. And then I ran 13 years later for a state run for uh, a state house seat and then Congress for two years and appointed by Nikki Haley, uh, to be the U.S. Senator and run twice uh, statewide and won both times, and now I'm up again. Now, Senator, i got to ask you, because I've never done this, uh, 
you ran for city council, which I think is tantamount to political suicide, uh, because <laughs> everybody is mad at the council all the time. I always yeah. told city councilmen they're mad. So how did is there any other senator who actually served on a city council? Because that's the real deal when you're dealing with the trash pickup and barking dogs and police officers and firemen and union. I mean, is there another senator with city council experience? That's a great question. I, I think there may be one out of the other 99 of us. Uh, Chris Coons served as the chairman, as I did, of his county. I served as the chairman of my county, but we are the only two. We've talked about it and commensurated together and, <laughs> and realized that we are two lucky individuals because someone's mad at you all the time. <laughs> up, there's a pothole. There's a cat in the tree. There's a challenge with the you know, response times from the EMS. There's all kinds of issues, but it also uh, gives you a bird's eye view of one of the most impactful governments in the country in this local government. And I know it's one of the reasons why citizens have a higher approval rating for the government that's closer to the people. And if you uh, learn to earn their respect, uh, it can be helpful. Now, when we first met in uh, in a California club out in, I mean, a decade ago, the most winsome thing you said at that that dinner in a little small room, there are about 14 of us, uh, you said that in your household, you ranked fourth uh, because your siblings and your mom came. Why do your siblings outrank you and your mother's? I know it's 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 joshing, but I just love the story. Well, it's just, and it's also true. You know, my mother worked those 16 hours a day, uh, so she had the she had the uh, Thanksgiving. She had the prime seat. My uh, brother, who was a, a, a colonel, he went to the Air Force Academy, and, and uh, of course, he had a good, good life in 26 years, retired colonel from the Air Force. Uh, he, he, got the, he got the seat right next to me because uh, he was a, a strong, smart guy, but the guy that got the number one seat was the, my brother, the 32-year command sergeant major veteran in the United States Army, uh, who, who literally, if you know much about the Army, the command sergeant major is the highest non-commissioned officer rank you can receive. Those are the folks that actually run the day-to-day -day operations for the soldiers. So we always put in place uh, mom, the command sergeant major, then the colonel, and then at the little kiddies table across the room, they had room for me. The senator. <laughs> I love that. Exactly. I, I love that story when I first heard it. All right, Senator, th that's a little bio. Now I want to talk about the reaction to your speech after you uh, responded to President Biden's speech. It was probably the most positive reaction I've seen Republicans give to a speech. What chord do you think you hit? Well, I think I think it was the common sense, common ground concept, because if you think about it, common sense is missing in much of the public forum. Common sense that after 245-year journey, America has made more progress in less time than any other nation on the planet. When you say with clarity, because it's true, that America is not a racist country, you say that with the backdrop of the type of progress that we've seen in the last four decades that was really impossible almost any place else on Earth. This experiment of diversity is one that's ta taken a lot of time and a lot of toll, but we continue to see, as Dr. King said, the arc of the universe bend towards justice constantly. And so just laying out the truth was common sense to me. The fact that 
you can't fight discrimination with more discrimination to make progress. That's lunacy to be kind, stupidity to be clear. So we have to find ways to just tell people the truth. And frankly, you think about the, another common sense approach is you, you cannot put $1.9 trillion into a air quote COVID package when only 1% goes to vaccines and 9% goes to COVID health and call that a COVID package with, with, with a clear and clear conscience. You can't put $2.3 trillion into an infrastructure package and only have uh, $400 billion out of the $2.3 trillion going towards roads and bridges and airports and, 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 and ports. You have to actually change the definition of words for the American people to follow the path of the Democrats. So just pointing out the hypocrisy of language was one of the things I found to be common sense because the American people are smart. When you use words that they know, like infrastructure or COVID relief, at least let the package and the vast majority of it include COVID relief or infrastructure. And neither of those packages did. So it was like the, it, it, it was a switch and roo, switch a roo game, so to speak. We used to call, say that when I was a kid. You, you got the people hooked on something, then you do the old switch a roo. You change the, the, the plan, you change the rules, you change the game. And that's what it's happening with the Democrats. And I wanted to point out the hypocrisy of their ever changing or evolving language. It's dangerous. Now, now, Senator, you also uh, you closed your address with a reference to Scripture, and you're obviously yeah. a believer, and you're not ashamed of the gospel. And no. you was that memorized, or was that on a teleprompter? That was on a teleprompter, without any question. It was also memorized because uh, what I what I tried to do, I spent 25 hours on that speech because I, I didn't want to read from a teleprompter. I wanted to share my heart. So I had the good fortune of having a great guy sit down with me, and a guy named Andy. He had a, kid this past weekend. And, and we sat down for 25 hours to find my voice, to find the words I had, I wanted to speak. And the theme, uh, the, 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 the point on racism, the challenges of discrimination that I've faced. But in the, the most important part was, as I looked through the eyes of the prism of COVID over the last 12 or 14 months, my face anchored, my face anchored me. And there's a song called The Blessing that it really did help me throughout the pandemic. It helped me focus on optimism, positivity, and that God is still in control. And so I wanted to end the speech in the way that referenced the important role that faith has played in this nation, and it certainly has played in my life. And I want the Lord not just to show up and God bless America. It's almost, we say it all the time. I hope we still mean it. I certainly do. But we need a blessing for a thousand generations, and we want that blessing to be on our children, our family, and our children's children. We want some. We I believe that there is a power beyond ourselves that we need to have a goal that is bigger than ourselves. And when you focus on something other than yourself, good things are possible. Great things are even possible. But without that focus beyond ourselves, we find ourselves bickering and becoming bitter because the world isn't always fair, but we always live in the right direction, especially when you feel a sense of call or purpose. I find that in faith, and it 
it does encourage me, and I try to do the best I can as a flawed individual, not to preach to others, but to make sure that I'm living the, the, the word that I say I believe. Yeah, you know, Senator, when your speech came down, I was pretty excited about it for the same reason I was pretty excited this weekend when my Presbyterian church, I'm an evangelical Roman Catholic Presbyterian. I go to Mass on Saturday and the Presbyterians on Sunday because my wife's a Presbyterian. I'm a Catholic, so we share. Uh, and in my Presbyterian church, it was the first time we were able to get together in Virginia in 16 months. And people, uh, the text was Psalm 122, and the pastor gave a great sermon on, uh, I am glad to go up to the house of the Lord. People are happy to know that their leaders believe. I really do believe that. And you mentioned Chris Coons. He's a wonderful man. Angus King is a wonderful guy. I know you and Langford are, are in the Christian Bible study up there. Talk to Senator Langford out there. I just, I think more Americans would feel better if they knew there were a lot of people who share no political uh, objectives, but a lot of common ground in their faith. Absolutely, Hugh. That's one of the more important things that is that, that, that continues to be hidden here in Washington, that there are probably 20 of us the senators who attend a, a weekly prayer breakfast, um, and myself and Chris Coons have both co-chaired it, uh, Angus King and James Langford have both co-chaired it, and it leads to the national prayer breakfast. But what it also does, and it's really important, when you're facing the most challenging issues the nation will face, it is good to have people that have rapport and credibility. The rapport is established when you spend quality time not talking about politics. We need a little more of that around the country and certainly in the nation's capital. Now, we still don't agree on 95% of the big issues, but at least we can trust each other to have a civil debate about the important issues facing the American people as opposed to having a debate about our own egos or personalities. A part of faith, James 4.10 reminds me constantly that if I exalt myself, I won't be humbled. And if I humble yeah. myself, the Lord will figure out the rest. And that's important. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you really cannot bring out the the, the pistols and, and hit each other with stones. You just can't do it if you're praying with someone. It's just not really possible. Uh, Senator, let's get, let's get to some issues uh, yeah. before we run out of time. Number one, you're the leader on police reform. I don't want to get into negotiations. They're delicate. Are you an optimist or a pessimist right now? I'm an optimist. Uh, I will become a pessimist on June 28th. If we're not finished by that date, I'm, I'm, I'm a pessimist and, and probably walking away. We cannot demonize police officers in order to get reform. We cannot increase their liability. The individual officer's liability in order to reach a deal. A bad deal is worse than no deal. And I am not budging on the important issues of protecting the officers, I hope, are willing to run into harm's way and putting their lives on the line is enough. We should not attack their assets or their personal income. That is a bridge too far for men and women, not all, the vast majority who, be, who believe that this is their mission, this is their call. And they don't do it for the money. You, you know what they make. They don't do it for the money. They do it because it's a mission. And we need to root out the bad apples, but protect the good ones. Now, I want to ask you about the infrastructure bill. Specifically, what would it do for South Carolina? Because that will put it into a context. I don't believe in infrastructure that doesn't have cement and steel in it. And so if it's, if it's cement and steel infrastructure, go for it. But where are we on that, do you think? 
Well, I think Shelly uh, Moore Capital has done a good job of leading the Republican response to the president's uh, and the, I should say the Democrats' lunacy, uh, $2.3 trillion. Listen, uh, Hugh, a part of their, and this is what we don't, what you just said about steel and concrete, I think it was. Cement and steel. It, yep, cement and steel. Here's the thing, Hugh. A part of their infrastructure plan eliminates the right-to-work laws around the country for 27 states. That's not wow. cement or steel. 27 states will no longer be able to attract companies so that they can employ their citizens with the concept of the right to work. They want to make it an absolute national standard that union labor is the only labor to hire. And for states who today, like South Carolina, have the right to work, you can join a union if you want to, but we encourage the right to work. Uh, environment, you can no longer do that in this country. That is a major problem that has nothing to do with cement or steel. Number two, I would say in South Carolina, you could see roads and bridges, our port being dredged so that we can be globally competitive because of the Charleston port being one of the most important ports on the eastern uh, shoreboard. Uh, on, on the eastern shore, I would say that uh, another thing you could see, you could see the uh, Completion of I-73, if we did it right, perhaps, uh, from Myrtle Beach being one of the major arteries of tourism in the country without an interstate access. So there are some positive things that we could do if, if we focus on Stephen and Steele. But if we focus on policy designs and changes, if we focus on four hundreds of billions of dollars for electric vehicles, more than we do on building bridges, that's that's a lunacy. Let, let me ask you about the tax bill that President Biden set up. He wants to do away with stepped up basis. And I have been telling people that's aimed at the middle class, the upper middle class and people who've worked their whole life to pay off mortgages and accumulate some wealth to pass on. Uh, is that going to make it into any bill you support? I will not support a bill that has stepped up basis. Think about the signature legislation for the last couple of years that I worked so hard on, the Opportunity Zones. Opportunity Zones gives you a stepped-up basis so that people will take a second look at the poorest parts of America so that yep. we can invest in a way that helps people have hope and see opportunity in the station. It would eliminate Opportunity Zones and the design of it. Think about the intergenerational transfers. This is a new form of a wealth tax that will devastate families, but more importantly, it stops the transfer of your assets to your children. So the government wants to confiscate more of your lifetime wealth for their benefits, because they believe that they're going to figure out how to spend your money better than you do. Now, that is it, called ridiculous. It is. All right, that, national security question. Your colleague, Senator Cotton, was on earlier. I'm asking everyone this now. If the Chinese Communist Party dispatches the People's Liberation Army Navy or the People's Liberation Army Air Force to execute a hostile takeover of Taiwan, what should the United States do and would it involve immediate use of force? It would have to have on the table the use of force. The, the, this is what we have to fully appreciate that Without a kinetic option around the globe, people don't take us seriously. To uh, immediately go to the, the kinetic option, then you're just a bully. If it's not on the table, it's hard to lead in a country, in, in a world 
with adversaries who believe only in brute force and power. So you have to have the ability to match that power with superior power. And we are we have the greatest military force ever assembled on God's green earth. So if they're sending planes with little green men, the equivalent of what Putin did in Crimea, do you advise the president to shoot those planes down if they are actually executing a a quick invasion, as Admiral Stavridis and I were talking about last hour? That's their most rapid option is uh, uh, groups on the island taking over airports, flying in the PLA. Would you you advise the president to shoot those planes down? You know, I'd have to have a better understanding on the, the actual threat those planes. If those planes are shooting at people indiscriminately, I would like to have a force in the Indo-Pacific that is able to respond. I would want to have a greater uh, depth and understanding of all of the options on the table that I don't have sitting here talking to you, Heath. Okay, we'll come back to it next time. A couple more quick questions, Senator, and I appreciate your time. I'm taking a little bit long, but this is important. You're up for re-election. I expect you will walk in. Nevertheless, I thought Lindsey Graham was going to walk in, and they raised, what, $70 million to try and beat him? Are you facing the same kind of ridiculous hemorrhaging of money to take out Tim Scott? Jamie Harrison, the guy who raised $120 million against Lindsey Graham and had Lindsey on the rope, is now weighing into my race by— uh, sending out tweets and endorsements for some of these candidates. So you can go to votetimscott.com to help me out, to be honest. Yes, South Carolina is a hotbed of activity. Liberals want this seat, and I have to be ready, prepared, and resourced to win. Now, I know that you don't want to answer this, but everybody wants to know, have you ruled out running for president in 2024? Well, my homeowner association presidency isn't up until 2026, so I better get reelected first. Well, I know that, but but the question is phrased so that Chris Christie, everyone has to answer it. Mike Pompeo, Tom, have you ruled it out, Senator? Well, listen, I haven't ruled it in, so I can't rule it out because ultimately, if you don't win your reelection, it doesn't really matter much. Okay, that's all I wanted to hear is that you didn't rule it out because I, I, I've got you on the short list of front runners. One of the reasons of that is race relations in the United States really needs the balm. You and Jim Langford actually impacted how I consider how I interact with people of different races. Invite them into your home. Uh, I think you came up with the dinner model, right? Yeah, Solution Sundays, yeah. Uh, James tell tell people about that. Tell us about, is yeah. it still going? It is. The Solution Sunday basically says it's our responsibility just to get to know people in all corridors of life. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to invite someone uh, that you know, kind of known for a little time, uh, over for dinner or for lunch or for a cup of coffee so that you don't talk about race or politics. You just get to know uh, individuals. And as you get to know people, it's hard to hate what you know very hard to hate what you know. And it's just a simple formula to break the ice and start real conversations. And then once rapport and credibility are established, you'll be able to talk about some of the thornier issues of life and understand that we're not that different, actually. Now, Senator, last question. You have obviously been at every level of government and you've been poor and you've been well off because you're a United States senator. You're not rich, but you've been everywhere and you've covered this country from the perspective of an African-American man in the United States Senate, are race relations 
at a low point of your adult life, a midpoint, and are they rising or falling? Because the Black Lives Movement got a lot of press. I mean the organization, not the sign. Where are we on the general picture in 2021 after the last two years? Well, things are strained in many corridors as long as you're watching TV. They, uh, we have learned to monetize conflict, but the truth is I don't know of a greater, more prosperous time for America and for Americans of all colors and, uh, all colors and creeds than we are right now. I am more optimistic about our eventual success and the significant role that America continues to play in alleviating poverty in the poorest quarters, not only of this country, but of the world. Our free enterprise system continues to do what we thought it would do. We now are seeing more African-Americans and and Hispanics entering into the free enterprise system. That's the key. What what the challenge, of course, Hugh, is if you can't fight racism or discrimination, there has been plenty around for our history. We just are in the best place we've ever been. And, yes, there are hot spots. There are hot issues. We should work on those. But we should work on those with the confidence that things have never been better. We should work on those issues with the confidence, with the backdrop that tomorrow will be better than today and next month better than this month, next year, this year. We consistently move in the right direction in this country and let no one deny progress when they're talking about challenges. Senator Tim Scott, thank you for your extra time today. Keep coming back. I appreciate it very much. Look forward to seeing you around town soon. God bless you, Hugh, and thank you for what you're doing as a Presbyterian, Catholic, Baptist, Evangelical. <laughs> you betcha. I kind I of got all... from the South. You know, there are two, two banks, one river, Senator. Uh, so, great. Thank you for being there, and I appreciate it. See you soon. Bye-bye. That concludes today's episode of The Interview with Hugh Hewitt. Thank you for listening. Make sure you come back and check out all the other podcasts on the Salem Podcast Network. And remember to thank our sponsors, andrewandtodd.com. If you believe in long-form interviews like I do, then do your real estate transactions with Andrew Del Rey and Todd Avakian. I've known both men for a long time. andrewandtodd.com. Go there, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what's best to do with your house or call them at 888-888-1172. You'll be glad you did and you'll be glad that you listened to the next episode of The Interview.